Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. Man, it's good to gather with you this morning uh, in this January. You know, last year, uh, this weekend, it snowed like almost three feet. Uh, so it's crazy that today it's uh, like going to be 50 degrees outside. I mean, I'll take that. That's all right. Uh, it's good just to be with you guys this morning. If you are new here, as Eric said, man, we're grateful that you're here this morning. We'd love to meet you uh, after the service. So please come say hello to me. Uh, if you see Eric, go talk to him, and you can head out to our Connect table as well. We'd love for this to be a place, if you're looking for a church, just a community, a family, that you could find yourself being a part of. Uh, and that's whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. Wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, our hope and our desire uh, is that Sojourn Church can be a place where you can continue on that journey. We'd love to, to walk with you in that. Uh, we're going to be in the Bible as we are every week during this time, and so if you need a copy of God's Word this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a couple of guys bring that around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us, and if you don't own a copy of the Scriptures, uh, have a copy of the Bible at home, then please feel free to take that home with you. Uh, I want you to be able to have access to that uh, throughout the week. You know, we're still kind of at the beginning of the year, uh, in the month of January, and at the start of a new year, we often try to start new things, right? We maybe make resolutions or plans or commitments to things that we're going to do, uh, and Amy and I did what so many other people do in the month of January, we joined a gym, because that's what you got to do in January, especially after Thanksgiving and Christmas stacking up. I know, I know. Uh, I need to go to the gym. That's probably what you're thinking. But uh, I used to go to the gym pretty consistently, but just over the last year or two, it just hasn't been a regular part uh, of our lives. And so we said, you know what, we really need to do this, we need to take care of ourselves, we need to be healthy, uh, be in shape, have energy uh, for our kids. Uh, going to the gym can help with that, have energy for life, for ministry. And so we, we joined a gym. And if you've been to a gym, I know some of you are like, gym, I don't know uh, exactly what that's that thing I did when I was in elementary school, not really sure what you're talking about. But for those of you that have actually been to a gym before, you know one of the weirdest things about a gym is there's mirrors everywhere, right? And I just think that's so strange. There's mirrors. Now, maybe it's because they're there so you can make sure that your form is correct when you're lifting weights. Uh, most likely what they're there for, though, is that you can look at yourself in the mirror and think about what you could be if you continue to go to the gym. Or if you're honest, you're looking at yourself in the mirror thinking, like, I'm already looking pretty good. Maybe I don't need to come as often uh, as, as, you know, I went to the gym I used to go to. Uh, there'd, be, there'd be people there taking, you know, selfies of themselves and all the goodness that they had worked on in the gym. But you know, a mirror can be both, uh, can be helpful. It can be helpful both literally and figuratively because in a mirror, what do you see? You see a reflection of yourself. You see an image of yourself. And, and both literally and figuratively, it can be helpful to kind of see, get a good picture of what's going on with you as this image of yourself is reflected back to you. Well, today we're going to do two things. We're going to start something new and we're going to look into a mirror. Today we're going to begin a new sermon series, and we're beginning this new sermon series jumping into the book of Jonah. Jonah is a short book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's only four chapters long, and it's sandwiched in between two other short books, the book of Obadiah and the book of Micah. It's kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. And in this sermon series, and in this, I'm sorry, in this book of Jonah, Jonah is, is, uh, is categorized with a bunch of other books of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. It's kind of those last few books of the Old Testament. It's categorized as one of the Minor Prophets. But Jonah is very different than a lot of the other Minor Prophet books because in the book of Jonah, what we don't see quite as much of is a prophet giving prophecy over something that's going to happen. Many of the prophetic books are a prophet delivering a message to God's people, an exhortation to God's people, calling them to repentance, calling them back to God. But in Jonah, it's not so much a book of prophecy as it is a book about a prophet. And this prophet is a person. 
just like you and just like me. So as we jump into this book over the next few weeks, we're going to be learning, I hope, a lot of things. We're going to learn about God. We're going to learn about grace. We're going to learn about the gospel. We're going to learn about mission. We're going to learn about calling and obedience. And we're going to learn about our very own hearts. In the book of Jonah, we see struggle. We see wrestling with self and with God. And so walking through the book of Jonah is going to be like going to the gym. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stretch us. It's going to challenge us. And maybe even at times it's going to leave us a little bit sore the next day. But when you go to the gym and you're a little sore the next day, it means you've been working out. You've been doing something. And so my hope is as we get into this and God works on your heart and my heart, that maybe even if we feel a bit of soreness the next day, we believe and know that God's doing something. See, in the book of Jonah, it'll be a mirror to our own hearts as we look at Jonah, and it'll be a window into the heart of God. One pastor says this about the book of Jonah. He says, this book is about the disturbing possibility that having pledged your life to Christ, you may end up spending much of that life avoiding the God you set out to serve. It's about the conflict in the heart of every Christian and the grace of God that when you see it will draw you into the pursuit of a God-centered life. A God-centered life. We want to have a life focused on God. We want to have a life centered on Him. And my hope is, is that we walk through this, we'll see that come to be. Because here the deal is, at the end of the day, for all of us, we can struggle with a kind of a conundrum, a contradiction. While loving Christ, you may find yourself turning away from Him. While trusting in Christ, believing that He holds all things together, you, you may be battling with fear and anxiety. While serving Christ, committed to serving Him, you may struggle with disappointment along the way. And so my hope is that God will use this book to press on us and confront us and change us to love God and love others more than ourselves, more than we ever have before. Not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of joy and delight because of who God is and what he's allowed us to be a part of. A people saved by grace and a people sent by grace. And my hope is that God will use this time in his word through the story of Jonah to, to shake off the dust of disenchantment that might be present in your life. And that he will call us back to a life of freedom and joy to be and do all that he has called us to be and do. So today we're going to jump into the first three verses in the book of Jonah and we're going to ask two main questions. Who is Jonah and who am I? Who is Jonah and who am I? So let's go ahead and read our text. If you have your Bible and you haven't already, you can flip open to the book of Jonah. Like I said, it's toward the end of your Old Testament. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3 and then we'll pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Here's what the book of Jonah says and what God says to you this morning. Now to the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you saw fit to have this book in your book, your word to us. And so, Lord, as we begin something new today as a church, we 
we come here in hopeful expectation, hopeful expectation that you will use your inspired written word about Jonah and you would use it in our lives. You would use it to, to change us. You'd use it to conform us to more of the image of Christ that as we walk even in your, in your scriptures today in these first three verses that you'd make us attentive to your spirit, that you would empower me by your spirit to preach your word faithfully today, that what would be evident this morning is that you are good and that you're faithful and that you are worthy of our worship and all of our lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would bless our time in your word today, but I pray also that you would bless our time in your word over these next few weeks as we walk through this small, short, oftentimes interesting, strange, and weird book of the Bible. But through that, God, that we would stand back and gain a sense of awe, gain a sense of wonder and shake off the dust of disenchantment that might be present in our lives. So we pray in hopeful expectation that you will do what you only can do, and that by that, that we would live lives that are pleasing to you, glorifying to you, with our worship focused on you alone. So holy God, we pray that you'd work in this time now. We cannot bring about change. We cannot bring about transformation in our life apart from the work of your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, do a work today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So who is Jonah? It's a good question to ask, right? I mean, we're jumping into a book that bears his name. This is God's inspired word given to us. A book from beginning to end that we learn about God and we learn about ourselves in relation to who God is. So, so who is this guy, Jonah, that this book is about? Well, as we jump into verse 1, we start to get a picture of that, a glimpse of a picture of who he is. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Jonah, but there are two things that we do know. One, he already knows the Lord, and secondly, he is already working for the Lord. He already knows the Lord, and he's already working for the Lord. We know this partly because of how Jonah reacts to the word of the Lord that comes to him. But we also see that this starts off with this word now. Sometimes it's translated and. So this is kind of a continuation of a story. It's kind of picking up mid-story. You know, sometimes you watch a movie that doesn't start at the beginning of the story, it kind of jumps in the middle of it, and then it goes and tells the larger story of what's going on. So something's already in motion. Something's already going on with Jonah. He already has a relationship with God. But we also know this because Jonah pops up in the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, Jonah is called a prophet of God. In this book there, in that place, it says that God spoke through Jonah during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of the kings of Israel. So Jonah is a real person. Jonah is a specific person. He's the son of a Mittai, a real and specific person. This is not some made-up story. It's not just a cute Sunday school story that maybe you learned when you were a kid. This is a real story about a real man. And See, one thing I, I want to I, I make sure that we don't forget that in the midst of walking this through this series that we don't overlook is that Jonah is like you and like me. He's a person with feelings and emotions and moods and sin, and he's made of flesh and blood. He's a creature who has a relationship with his creator. Jonah is a follower of God who also happens to be a prophet of God. But let's get into the story a bit more and see what happens. A word of the Lord comes to Jonah, a specific clear, purposeful word from God. And what is it? He says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Arise and go, he says. Get up and get moving, Jonah. 
God is sending his prophet Jonah to a new post, a new position, a, a preaching and missionary endeavor. Jonah, see, he has an established ministry in Jerusalem. He's been there. He's been present there and working for God. But now God is asking him to leave and go and do something else. But where exactly is he asking him to go? Well, he says he's sending him to Nineveh. Nineveh is in the middle of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire is a pretty nasty empire. It's an empire built on brutality. It's an empire built on a military conflict and conquest. And as one scholar says, Nineveh stood for, it was the poster child for, the essence of human self-exaltation and anti-God power. That's what Nineveh was about. Nineveh was all about Nineveh. It was a nationalistic group of people that said, we don't care about anyone else. We will do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it, and that's what we're all about at whatever cost. It had nothing to do with God nor did it have a desire to do anything with God. So what exactly is God asking Jonah to do when he goes there? He says, go there and call out against it. He's calling Jonah to preach and proclaim rebuke. To go to these people and say, there's something going on here. There's this this evil that has arisen up before God, and and, and he's going to call out against this evil, all that they've said, all they've done, all they've worshipped, and it's come before God, and God is not unaware of this. It's not like this just became new information to God, but at this point in time, in God's perfect plan, and his purposes, and his providence over all creation, now is the time for him to send a messenger to this people. And so God is calling his prophet, his representative, to go to a foreign people who hate God and hate God's people and to preach to them about the righteous wrath of a perfect and holy and righteous God. But see, in preaching that message, which, what is inherently a part of that message is a call to repentance, a call to recognize how desperate they are for mercy and grace So this isn't just a preaching assignment, it's a mission assignment. To spread the fame and glory of God among those who do not know or have not heard. So how does Jonah react to this call of God? He runs. He runs. We can picture this. We don't know what day of the week it was. Let's say it was a Tuesday. Jonah's hanging out. Maybe he's even spending time reading the Bible, reading God's word, praying to God. And in that moment, on this any given Tuesday, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, this is what I want you to do, arise and go. And Jonah doesn't, doesn't just say, uh, I don't know what to do, let me think about this a little more. He actually does arise, and he, and he does go, but the complete opposite direction of where God wants him to. It says that he's going to go to this place called Tarshish. Now, we need to understand Nineveh is about 220 miles north of modern-day Baghdad in Iraq. And so it's northeast and inland from Jerusalem. And it says that Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is a port city in Israel, which is southwest from Jerusalem. So he's literally going the opposite direction from where God has called him to do. But he doesn't stop there. He finds a ship to go to this city called Tarshish. So he pays the fare and he, and he gets on and he goes down into the belly of the ship, waiting to leave the port and heading to this place that he has determined to go. One of the things we try to do with our kids is, is read Bible stories. And we have a couple of different uh, Bible storybooks that are written for kids. And one of them is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I've mentioned this before. I would highly recommend that any of you pick that up and read it. It's such a good depiction and narrative of the grand narrative of 
Scripture. But in this story, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it says that Jonah goes down to this port city and he asks for a ticket to not Nineveh. To not Nineveh. He doesn't care where he goes. He just doesn't want to go there. It's not that he particularly cares that much about Tarshish. He just doesn't want to go or be anywhere close to Nineveh. Now this city, Tarshish, is about as far the opposite direction as he could think about going, though. It'd be like someone coming to you today and say, hey, listen, I want you to go to the middle of Times Square in New York City, and I want you to preach the gospel, and you go to the train station or the airport, and you say, I want a ticket to Tijuana. I want to go the opposite direction. I want to go completely southwest from here, as far away from New York City as I possibly can go. That's the last place I want to find myself. See, immediately in Jonah's mind, when the word of the Lord comes to him, is do not what God says, but do what I want to do. Which in this case is to be nowhere near this city. Now several times in these few short verses, there's the phrase, went down. And it's a picture of the reality of what was happening in Jonah's heart and his soul. It's a, a, a really a picture of decline and a death of sorts and, and a bit of a foretelling about what was going to happen to him. But in all of this, as we picture this story, maybe you're familiar with this story, but I don't want us to miss the most significant thing in this text. The most significant thing that's going on in this text, which really shapes the tenor and the tone and the theme of this short book in the Bible. What is Jonah fleeing for? Better yet, what is Jonah fleeing from? It isn't mainly because he doesn't like the people of Nineveh, though that might be the case. Wouldn't be surprising if that were the case. They were a wicked people who created difficulty for God's people. But in verse 3, we get the answer twice. He is fleeing to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. Now, obviously, Jonah doesn't believe that there's anywhere that he can go where he can literally be away from God's presence. He was familiar with God's word. He was a prophet for God. And so he knew God is omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. He is ever present. But Jonah was fleeing the felt presence of God. This is about relationship. Fleeing the presence of the Lord is about fleeing being a servant of God. Jonah has a relationship with God. Jonah's been working for God, but he's essentially saying, I'm leaving it all behind to go do what I want to do. In some ways, he's kind of quitting the ministry when he decided to move to Tarshish. See, at the end of the day, this isn't so much about Jonah's thoughts or feelings toward the people of Nineveh. This is about Jonah's thoughts and feelings toward God. At the beginning, we said we're going to ask two main questions today. Who is Jonah and who am I? So let's ask our first question again. Who is Jonah? See, Jonah knew the heart of God. Jonah knew the heart of God. He was a prophet working in service for God. He knew God's promise in Genesis chapter 3 that, that he would send the seed of Eve to crush the head of the serpent to bring an end to the curse of sin on all of humanity. He knew there was a promise for that. And then he also knew the promise and commission of Abraham. That that promise, that that fulfillment, that that redemption would come through God's people. That there would be a blessing to all nations. Which means it was never meant to just be about the people of Abraham. That God was going to bring people from every tribe and every language and every nation. He was going to bless all the nations through the people of Abraham. Jonah knew that. So here, God is calling Jonah to go to an unreached people group. A people who have no one telling them about the one true God who is worthy of all of their worship and worthy of all of their life. And remember, it's God is the one calling him to do this. It's not like Jonah went to a mission conference. 
Or that someone else said, Jonah, it'd be a good idea for you to go. This is, the, this is the God of all creation speaking to him, and he hears that word, and he doesn't do it. He gets up and he runs the other way. When I thought about calling this sermon series The Reluctant Missionary, but then I got to thinking more about Jonah. Yes, he is a reluctant missionary. That's true. He, there's a reluctance for him to go and deliver this, this rescue uh, narrative, this, this preaching and proclamation of repentance to the people of Nineveh. He is reluctant, but that's the fruit of something. That's not the root of what's going on in Jonah's heart and his life. So I started to think and talk and pray and study and said, wait, what's going on? What's at the root here? See, Jonah had a significant ministry. He had a status as a minister working for God, being involved in ministry activity, but deep inside there was a private battle going on. A battle that was rooted in selfishness, a battle that was rooted in self-importance, where there was a love of comfort and really a resentment toward God. Then it erupted in his life. See, the root of what going, is going on here is not primarily about his feelings toward the people of Nineveh, though, again, that's probably also present. The root is that Jonah is disenchanted with God. He's disenchanted. And this disenchantment leads to reluctance and abject disobedience and apathy and self-focus. God calls Jonah out of a settled ministry, and Jonah doesn't like it. See, this isn't about mission, primarily about it, or only about mission to an undeserving lost people. This is about the heart of a disenchanted follower. To be disenchanted is to be disillusioned or disappointed. It's someone who's, someone who's disenchanted has kind of uh, lost a sense of awe that they once had. They've lost a sense of wonder that's now gone. Something has broken down for Jonah. It's broke, something's broken down in his understanding of God and his understanding of who he is and himself and his understanding of what the focus of his life is to be. See, through a large part of his life and the ministry, Jonah has actually avoided the God that he set out to serve, maybe even keeping him at an arm's length. And instead of being in awe of the grace of God to an undeserving people, he runs the other way away from the presence of the Lord. Who is Jonah? He's a disenchanted follower of God who instead of growing in his love for God and growing in his love for others is really only loving himself. You know, football season is, uh, is wrapping up. Uh, college football season ended a few weeks ago. Clemson Tigers. Yep, okay, there's a couple of you. <clears throat> uh, won the national championship and we've got two football games today. Two NFL games today and then on February 5th we have the Super Bowl, the final game of the NFL season Now, something always happens in the midst of probably all sporting seasons, but particularly I feel like in football this happens a lot, is that if a team loses a game, maybe it was a last-minute loss. They they lost at the end of the game, last-minute decision or mistake on the coach or a player's part. And what happens? All of us sit there and we criticize. I mean, there's whole radio shows devoted toward nitpicking apart a game and saying, man, why did he do that? That was a terrible play call. Why didn't he do this? This is what I would have done. If I was in charge, this is what I would have done if I was that player or that quarterback. It's called armchair quarterbacking. It's really easy for you and for me in the comfort of our homes to say what we would have done. But in the moment, in the intensity of the game, we have no idea what we would have done. 
I mean, if I got to be honest, if I was on the field and there were a bunch of six foot five, 300 pound men running full steam at me with one aim in mind, which is to flatten me out on the field, I probably would just fall on the ground and curl up in like a little ball anyway. Right? I, oh, I would be, you know, keep my calm, step up into the pocket, make sure I'm going to make my path. Yeah, right. <laughs> but man, it's easy for me in that moment to, to think that way. And so here's the deal. For you and I, we can sit back and we can judge Jonah. We can armchair quarterback this story. Or we can enter into the story of Jonah and say, yeah, me too. Me too. See, Jonah's story and really his confession. Because most scholars believe that Jonah is the author of this book of the Bible, but that he wrote this story about himself years later. And so it's really a confession that serves as a mirror for you and for me. Because as we look into it, we're able to catch a glimpse and see our own struggles and the puzzles of our own inner life. Which leads to our second question this morning. Who am I? Who am I? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul kind of tries to answer that question talking to the Corinthians because they've forgotten who they are. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's saying, don't, don't forget that, that if we have unrighteousness, if we have sin in our life, we cannot be in the presence of God. We cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you are a follower of Christ sitting here today, everything has changed for you. Everything has changed for you. This used to be who you were, but by God's grace, everything has changed for you. But as a follower of Jesus here and now, as one pastor says, we are a mass of contradictions. We have new life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, but we still find ourselves struggling with sin. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to empower us and lead us and guide us, but we still struggle with weakness. God has begun a good work in us, but it's not yet complete. And in the midst of the mundane parts of life, the everyday in the midst of the difficult and the ups and downs of life, the good and the bad, we all struggle. All of us are tempted towards disenchantment. And I would say, especially if you've known and followed Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for many, many years. And if that's the case, I think it's the case with me. There's times where we just struggle with disenchantment. We can lose our sense of awe of the grace of God towards sinners like us. We forget, and such were some of you. And when we become disenchanted, it can lead to reluctance, to running. If you have been saved by grace through Christ, God did not do so to leave you where he found you but to transform you from living a life centered on yourself to a life centered on him because he alone is worthy of our worship. But sometimes we get off track. See, the world calls us to dream all the time. It calls us to dream. It calls us to to 
just, you know, self-realize and, and get what's ours and make a name for ourselves and be successful and dream about the big things that could happen in your life, but almost always it's centered on ourselves. But God has a way of disrupting our dreams. We plan and we scheme, but then God breaks into the plan and suddenly life is set on a different course. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because as we look throughout Scripture, we see God do that over and over and over again. He did it with Noah. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses and Gideon and Joshua and all 12 of Jesus' disciples. And he did it with the Apostle Paul. People set on one trajectory of life. God jumps in. He interrupts. He disrupts their dreams and sets them on a new course. And it's at that point we have a decision to make. When God interrupts, when God disrupts our lives, do we run like Jonah, literally or figuratively, shaking our fists at God, fleeing from the presence of God, or do we listen and trust and say, God, whatever you're up to, I want in. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know why you're doing it, but I want in. See, God has called you to follow him But as one pastor says, when God interrupts your life, he is calling you to follow him in a new way. In a new way. So what's going on with Jonah and what's going on with you? Jonah had a heart issue. He had a heart issue. Something else was at the center of his heart instead of besides God and his glory. So maybe he was idolizing his ministry role. Maybe he was idolizing, idolizing his reputation or his comfort or his position in the community as respected member of the community. Whatever it happened to be, something else was taking the place of God and his glory being the center of Jonah's life. And instead of being a mouthpiece for God, what he actually does is kind of set himself up to be God. Determining where and how and to whom he would be a minister of grace. But because God loves his people so much, he loves them too much to let them continue to worship things other than himself. And he breaks in to break down that idolatry. See, when God interrupts your life, he's oftentimes seeking to crush the idol that's in your life. Whatever it is that you've placed at the center Whatever it is that you've placed there instead of him, whatever it happens to be, maybe it's your job, maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's your home or your relationship, your marriage, your dating relationship. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your bank account. Whatever it is, it's oftentimes God is breaking in to break down whatever's at the center besides him. And when this happens, when God interrupts your life like he did Jonah, you may find, as one pastor says, that your comfort is more important and your obedience more conditional than you thought. It's easy to think we're walking in obedience to God, but when God presses on us and calls us to do something different, we find out what's really going on. See, all of us as followers of Christ, as children of God, are called to action and obedience to the glory of God and for the good of others. There's not a single person in this room this morning that if you've been saved by grace, that if you are a follower of Christ, that does not have a ministry in which God has called you to participate in. Some means of making much of him and making disciples in and through the context of this local church, this community. It doesn't mean that everybody in this room is going to be a pastor. It doesn't mean everybody in this room is going to be a a global missionary who's going to get on a plane and go overseas, though that might be the case, and I hope it is for some of you. 
doesn't matter what it is. If you're a mom who stays at home with your kids, working with your kids, that's where God is calling you to go. Maybe for you, it's the cubicle that you go to every day and the people that sit around you or the campus that you live on or go to class on. There's no one in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, that does not have a ministry to make much of our God. But we can think in the midst of that, I'm fine following you, God, as long as it's on my terms. I'm fine following you as long as I can be comfortable when I'm doing it. I'm fine following you as long as you give me this particular thing or that particular thing. I'm fine following you as long as I don't get too tired. It doesn't require too much sacrifice. As another pastor said, nothing is more disturbing to a comfortable faith or a comfortable church than God's passion for the world. We're not supposed to be a settled group of people. God is working in us so that he might work through us. So how many of us have grown comfortable with where we are instead of hungry for what God wants us to be a part of? Sojourn, it's one thing to begin well. It's another thing to continue well and altogether another thing to finish well. Man, I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for our church. That we wouldn't just begin well. That we wouldn't just continue well as a church, but that we would finish well. And here lies a warning for us in the story of Jonah, this disenchanted follower. We need to be careful not to confuse opportunity with the will of God. See, Jonah heard what God said, and he probably could have made the argument that he was still doing work for God as he boarded a ship to head to a different city, because there's people there. He was just going to do it a little bit differently than the way God had laid out for him. He set out in his mind to go to Tarshish, then he goes down to the port, and well, ah, what do you know? There's a boat going to Tarshish. This must be God's will. Man, how many of us have done things like that before? See, there's often, maybe always, opportunity as we run from God's perfect and good will for our lives that we might even use as justification for what it is that we're doing or not doing. We may say things like, I know going here might present some temptation towards sin, but man, look at the opportunity. I, might, I know that maybe taking this job, doing this particular thing, living in this particular place, it, it might not be the thing that would help me to worship God the most, but man, there's so much opportunity. And see, just like Jonah, most of the time, as one pastor says, our problem in obeying God is not that we don't, don't understand what he is saying, but that we do. And see, in the end, that is Jonah's issue. It's our issue. We get so myopically focused on our own lives, so myopically focused on our own world, our own comforts, our own glory, that we miss the grand narrative of what God is doing, redeeming people. God is concerned with his global glory, and Jonah misses it. The word of the Lord came to him to spread his global glory, and Jonah misses it. He was so focused, so infatuated on himself. Church, we need to realize that the vision of God is much bigger than any vision you can have for your life. The vision of God is much bigger than any vision I can have for my life. The vision that God has, it's much bigger than anything that we can creatively come up with as a church. The vision of God starts in Genesis chapter 1 and it ends in Revelation chapter 22. And God says that the nations, he wants the nations to come to him, that he might be their God and they might be his people. But Jonah 
misses it. And he runs from the presence of God who called him to himself and then called him to go. Jonah missed it. But man, we miss it too. I miss it. Who am I? I am Jonah. I hear from God through his read and preached word, through his spirit, through his people, but how often, maybe embarrassingly so, do I choose to busy myself with other things instead of beside the one thing that God is calling me to? Listen, activity is a poor substitute for obedience. Who am I? I'm Jonah. Too often I cherish my comfort. I cherish my position for God rather than my position with God. As a beloved son, saved by grace, I place myself above others. I I love me more than I love God and love other people. And I can become at times a disenchanted follower. I, I lose my sense of awe. My sense of awe and wonder of the God of grace who made me and saved me and caused me to walk with him and live my life, all of it, for him. And instead of rejoicing in that fact, instead of rejoicing in the fact that I have the privilege, the joy, the opportunity to live all of my life for him, every moment of every day, every breath that I have, every beat of my heart to live it for him, instead of rejoicing that God would allow me Me who was dead in my sin, me who was in darkness and death, who was rescued out of that, rejoicing in that, I balk and I and I complain and I grumble and I ignore and I run. If you read in the book of Luke this week in the community Bible reading journal, we saw that the cost of following Jesus is significant. There actually is a cost to walk in obedience, to be a faithful disciple. But man, it's worth it. It's worth it to let let go and set aside everything that this world tells you to hold on to that you might know and follow him. Who am I? I am Jonah. But my guess is, is that you are too. Because whether you claim to be a Christian or not, at times you are running from God pursuing what you want over what God has for you in his good purpose, his perfect timing, and his gracious will for your life. And see, when you and I recognize that we are Jonah, that we have disenchantment, that we are prone to run, in that moment we also recognize our need for grace. And the good news for us is that God has provided it. See, Jonah was called out of a place of comfort to go to a people in need. But Jonah's not the only one that God called to do that. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the second Son, the second Son, the second person of the Trinity, was in the same situation. He was in eternal perfection and community and comfort, but the Father called him and sent him to go on a mission to a needy people, a needy people who at the end of the day would hate him and despise him and even kill him. But this mission of Jesus wasn't just any mission, it was a rescue mission. Because by going and living and dying, he would bring those very same people into the fold and family of God by grace through faith. See, Jesus willingly came. He humbly came. He took on humanity, living among us and with us in order that he might rescue us. And Hebrews chapter 12 says that it was with joy that he obeyed with joy that he went to the cross, despising its shame because it ended in glory and good, not just for himself, but for you and me as well. 
Jonah ran away from God in his call, and Jesus ran to it. Jonah fled the presence of God. Jesus endured the cross in view of the presence of God that others might experience it as well. Who am I? I'm Jonah. I'm not Jesus. But man, it reminds me of how much I need Jesus. See, the book of Jonah is a mirror for us, but it's also a window into the heart of God who is continually gracious to his people and those who he's in the business of redeeming, even Jonah, even you. For all of our running, Jesus paid for that. For all of our self-importance, Jesus paid for that. For all of our self-seeking, Jesus paid for that. For all of our disobedience, Jesus paid for that. For all of our disenchantment and unbelief, Jesus paid for that. Jonah had lost sight of that. Instead of praying for God to change his heart, to recalibrate his heart, to reinvigorate his awe and his reluctance, he ran. He was consumed with his doing for God instead of his being with God. And you and I can find ourselves in that same place. And so let me ask you this morning, where is God interrupting your life right now? Where is God interrupting your life right now? What is God calling you to that you're reluctant about right now? What's he calling you to that you're reluctant about, that you're tempted to or already are in the process of running from? And when you kind of ascertain that, when you start to wrap your mind around that, I want you to dig a little bit deeper and say, then where am I disenchanted with God? Where have I lost a sense of awe? Where have I lost a sense of wonder? That I forget that such was I, such were some of us. What God has done in your life. Where are you disenchanted right now? Friends, stop running from God in whatever way you are right now and come to him. Trust him, even if you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Follow him, even if you don't know where he's leading right now. Rest in him. If you're experiencing weariness and tiredness, you will not regret it. And church, I'm excited for this series, that it would lead us not to run, but to repent, not to regret or resent, but to rejoice. And may God use Jonah's story to speak into your story and draw you and me and all of us closer to him for his glory, for our good and the good of others. Amen. And what a gift it is to gather together as the church every week. And what a gift it is to come to the communion table each and every week. Because in this meal, as we come forward to eat the bread and drink the cup, we are being called back to awe. We are being called back to wonder at the majesty and the beauty and the grace of God towards sinners like us. And so if you're going to run anywhere today, run to the table. Run to the table. Because in this sacred meal, we get to experience the presence of Jesus. Jesus whose body was broken for us. Jesus whose blood was shed for all of our running. So eat the bread and drink the cup of the new covenant that your soul might be refreshed, that your heart might be reinvigorated to hear the word of the Lord and arise and go to whatever, wherever, however, whoever he is calling you to. He is always worth it. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to eat the bread and drink the cup because this is a declaration of our desire, our heart's desire to know and follow Christ. It's a declaration that we have been saved by that grace that Jesus gives to us. And so if you haven't yet experienced that, 
We want you to take Jesus today. We want you to experience that grace for the first time today. And so sitting in your seat, just hang out there. And if you're ready to start a relationship with Christ that you know you've been running for God, from God for too long, would you stop and say, I'm done? Jesus, save me. Forgive me. I need you. And if that's where you're at, let somebody know that. We'd love to journey with you. I'd love to pray with you today. We'd love for you to go to a community group this week and, and let people know, hey, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what this means, but I know I need Jesus. And there's a bunch of people here that love to, to help you with that. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back and tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you, for all of your running, for all of your disenchantment, for everything will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would help us to dig deep. To dig deep and ask honest questions of ourselves of where you are interrupting our lives, where we are tempted to run or already are running from you, and where there might be disenchantment in our hearts right now towards you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be honest about that, that we would come to you in a spirit of repentance and that you would change us, you would transform us, that you would help us to respond and run not away from you, but run to you, that we might dwell in and glory in the fact that we get to sit in the presence of the living God. Lord, help us not to be captivated by anything else but you. Captivate our hearts, reinvigorate us towards you, wake us up. Lord, there are too many of us that are sleepy Christians, sleepy followers of you. Would you wake us up and then send us out? Help us to be faithful people. And we pray, God, that you would use Jonah's story, speaking into our story, to change us and transform us for our good and for your glory. We love you. We thank you for Christ, your son, who you sent to rescue us. We pray all this in his name. Amen.